Drunk Botany, episode 13. Hoist a glass and prepare to enter a world of gardens, brews, botany, and booze. Here's your host, Bill Kreisha. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Drunk Botany. I'm your host, Phil Creation, and joining me today oh. is young adult author Phoebe North, virtually from the world of New York, uh, while I'm here in Pennsylvania, and that's just one of the modern miracles of modern technology. Do you want to say hi, Phoebe? <laughs> hi, Phoebe. <laughs> well, Phoebe is joining me today for martinis. You had originally wanted a specific gin for this event, didn't you? Yeah, I had suggested Never Sink, but that's just because um, that's what my lovely husband had bought for me the last time he was at the liquor store, and it was tasty. I have no idea what kind of gin I'm drinking right now. Oh, mystery gin. It's in a glass. What kind of gin are you drinking? Oh, I have a really exciting gin. I have never tried it before, but it is... From Scotland. It's from one of the isles that normally makes Scotch whiskey. And mm-hmm. it spoke to me from the <laughs> shelves at the liquor store. Uh, it is The Botanist. Uh, it's a gin from Islay. It's, uh-huh. it's made from 22 foraged island botanicals. So I was really intrigued by the idea of this being something that is natural to an island. And that people um, actually have to hand make it and pick it by hand. It's as far as my research can pull out. Um, it is the only gin that comes from Islay, which I hope I'm pronouncing correctly. And if I'm not, feel free to drop me a line on the comments section of my web page and tell me how I'm mispronouncing your favorite countries. <laughs> <laughs> so, Phoebe, when you make a martini. How do you make yours? Okay, well, um, so I, this is a new thing that I've started drinking. I've always liked dirty martinis, but I've started drinking them specifically with gin because I read an article somewhere about how it's a more earthy flavor and it complements because I like them very dirty, pretty much just olive juice <laughs> and gin. Um and so I read that it complements the the olive juice better. So and I've kind of found that to be true. So I drink a dirty gin martini, very dry, very little vermouth, like a teeny, teeny tiny bit, and on the rocks usually. But that's mostly because I can't stand drinking from a martini glass. I spill. So <laughs> how about you? Uh martini glasses come with practice. I actually very much agree with you about there only being a little bit of vermouth. I normally drink my martinis the way my wife drinks my martinis, as any good husband ought to. (laughs) She is a kettle one, extremely dry, up, three olives kind of girl. So that has made me Uh a three olives kind of guy myself. And this is going to be the first gin martini I've ever made for myself. So I hope everybody gets a good kick out of that. (laughs) While I pour over here, uh, we're going to be talking about saving seeds today. Um, What I do is I fill my glass over here with uh, ice all the way to the top. And then I put a healthy dollop of gin on that bad boy. 
And then I get my trusty bar spoon over here. And I, that's because when I was back in high school, long, long ago, um, I was in a play. It was a musical called Mame. And it's, it's a story about a, a woman who's raising a child all on her own in the 1920s and, you know, throughout time, actually. Uh, you get to see the little boy grow up and everything. But when he's still a little boy coming back from boarding school, he's mixing a gin martini for his mother. And he's, like, interviewing, I think, with the boarding school director. And he's like, he's like can I fix you a drink? And he's like, stirred, never shaken, bruises the gin. Stuck to me since I, since I was a little kid that stuck with me. So here I am stirring my martini. Now... Like a lot of other people, when they stir a drink like this, will insist on the use of something called a Hawthorne strainer. It looks like a slinky made out with a, uh, a set of braces and just got tangled. I hate them. Desperately, I hate them. Uh, so instead, I just take the bottom of a traditional shaker and I pop it on top. And I don't actually shake it, but I use my shaker to strain. Okay. I also only use a tiny bit of vermouth. You know, they there's an old story about Winston Churchill saying, uh, you know, you put the liquor in over the ice and uh, you just take the cap off of the vermouth and salute your drink with it and then put it back away on the shelf. Uh, so that's that's very much how I make my uh, vodka martinis. But this being gin, I think it's going to want the vermouth in there for the reasons that you were talking about. Plus, I'm really excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious to see what you're going to think. of. <laughs> okay. In... Um, I should actually, I should dig up for you and for your listeners an article I was reading a couple weeks ago that was from, I think it was the Washington Post. It was an old article. It's like 10 years old or something um, about how dirty, how gin martinis specifically were a post-World War II drink, um, mostly because, uh, specifically on the rocks, too, mm. mostly because they could be made extremely easily. Um, so, and that's what, I guess, guys coming back after the war just want to be able to pour some gin over ice. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that drink. if you, you know, spend like four or five years of your life killing Nazis, you can come home and drink as much as you want. <laughs> <laughs> and not bother with a shaker, I think, was the idea, too. Cause... Well, yeah, because who's going who's to waste yeah. their time with that? Um, I love shakers. It's just me. Uh, I, I'm i a big fan. We don't own one, so that makes it... <laughs> I'm going to fix that for you. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I This is like one of my little pretentious things that I do. It's very hipster, so please don't judge. I have one of those little travel two ounce finger sprayers that you get for like traveling overseas and stuff like that that's a spray mm -hmm. bottle and i have my vermouth in that that's how little vermouth i did <laughs> i you know like i went back you know anyway so today we're going to talk about saving seeds and i yes. know that you were just doing this so i figured i would ask you how do you save seeds because i know it's got to be different from the way that i do it because again i do everything <laughs> weird yeah, I mean, I'm a little 
I'm a little intimidated to be talking to you about this because I feel like I don't know what I'm doing, but that's frequently the case for me and gardening. <laughs> that's how gardening works. You just blindly go through it and have a good time. Like you accidentally right. wind yeah, up Right, yeah, that's pretty much my that. philosophy. And if something works, then great. Um, unfortunately, I won't know if my seed-saving method worked at all until I plant seeds in the spring. Um, but the way I did it for tomato seeds this year was that um, I fermented them in a jar and it was very stinky, several jars because I did a couple different varieties uh, and you just, you take a tomato, usually one that looks kind of nasty but like it might have been a really good tomato had you eaten it faster <laughs> and you cut it in half and squeeze out the seeds um, I just rinse them in a colander a little bit, not a lot uh, just to get any big chunks off, and then you throw it in a jar with some water, and I cover up the jar, and you leave it until it stinks, and you shake it every now and then, and eventually it gets a little white froth on top, and uh, as you shake it, the the tomato parts kind of fall out, and then you get some seeds that you can rinse again and dry on a paper towel, and that, that's gonna work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hope so. You know, well, no, I... you never know though. I've been doing this seed saving thing for years now. It's to the point where um, my wife has kind of a moratorium on my saving seeds, which is why I didn't really do it this year. I'm only going to do like a brief batch in this particular episode uh, just for illustrative purposes. But yeah, um, traditionally people who trade seeds on the internet all use a fermentation method that's almost exactly like that. Mm -hmm. So... I was actually talking to a friend of mine, uh, Carly, from an earlier episode on Sour Mix, if uh, you want to listen to that episode. Um, let me just grab another sip of this straight-up booze. <laughs> mm. Glad that I have olives. <clears throat> I don't take my martinis dirty the way you do. I just I can't get behind no. all that salt texture. I mean, you have to be an, an olive juice <laughs> Yeah, well, you know what it is? Yeah. I'm an olive right. guy. I'm not an olive juice guy. So, yeah. you know, like, I'll drink maybe a quarter of my martini, and I'll either bite the olive to get that, like, jolt of salt, uh -huh. or I'll eat one of my three olives. Um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, there are about three ways of saving seeds that I've managed to uncover. And I was talking to Carly about this earlier because she watched me save seeds about a year ago and was like totally uncomfortable with the way that I do it. And it's not the way that I always do it. It's just a way that I do it because like I thought that it would be a good compromise and things. And I've had a hard as heck time digging up this information on places on the internet. So I have to reconstitute this PDF file as my own drunk botany version, which I'm going to upload for everybody else to be able to have. But your simplest and easiest, most not safe way of saving seeds is you just take a tomato, like so, and you bite it. And you suck all the seeds out and you spit them into one of these ramekins. <laughs> Do you have any like idea? That would, that would go well with the flavor of a dirty tea. <laughs> No, I should probably yeah. have like a mint or something. You know what I'll do? I'll just gargle with little a little sorbet bit of that. To yeah, right. <laughs> Perhaps I should eat a cracker. <laughs> Can you imagine why that would probably be a bad way to save seeds? Uh, no. 
but I'm sure you'll tell me. <laughs> I will, because I like to talk. <laughs> <laughs> it's because um, there can be diseases that live within a tomato that maybe aren't showing on the plant yet. Like, you previously mentioned, like, you'd choose a tomato that you wouldn't eat. Mm-hmm. Um, so No, just... I would choose one that, because I have, this is a good problem to have, but I tend to plant way too many tomato plants. Um, I know this and I problem. Treat them, <laughs> and I have them into the fall in boxes in uh in my greenhouse. But inevitably some very beautiful tomatoes just end up sitting on my counter slowly, rotting and collecting fruit flies. So they're usually very beautiful tomatoes that I would have eaten if we ate forty pounds of tomatoes <laughs> this season. So but I try to pick good ones because you don't want to pick crappy tomatoes that, you know, because you're breeding. Absolutely. Plants, right? Hey, you know what's a good way to clear your palate after biting a tomato before you drink your gin? What's that? Mm, you bite the olive. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so there can be diseases that can go over your drying process. And when you plant your new tomato seed, you wind up with diseased tomato plants or subbar things. So it's generally considered to be good form in any type of seed trading situation to ferment your seeds, as Phoebe outlined. Basically, it, it's you just wind up cutting the tomato open. You squeeze out the innards of the tomato into like a plastic cup. You fill it with water. You let it ferment for a couple of days till it gets that skin on the top. You stir it. You let it ferment a little bit longer. Stinks to high heaven. Your wife will kill you. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, you know, I kind of, in defense of weird wives everywhere, I find the smell kind of pleasant in an unpleasant way. <laughs> I have heard that, but these are all tomato people who say this, you know. That's true. My, my wife yeah. is not a tomato person. <laughs> Um, anyway, so one of the other methods that you use, and again, I have seen this nowhere else, is, uh, is the wintersown.org method. And it is a quick, relatively speaking, method for making, for saving tomatoes. Uh, what I'm going to take here is to do this project, you will need... One of those small sieves that maybe fits over the mouth of a mason jar, like that small, but like fine mesh, because this is what we're going to use to catch our seeds. Uh, you're going to need a little bit of dish soap, which is also going to help with this process. And the last thing, and this is the one that like creeps some people out, but I'm, I can back it up and I'll tell you why, uh, is you use a kitchen cleanser, like a disinfectant cleanser. Uh, I'm using Comet, although I've heard that other people have used Bartender's Friend or something like that. But this is because all commercial seed distributors do go through a bleach process on their seeds. I like to... Oh, and, and the last thing that you need is a paper plate. You used a paper towel, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I know some people say don't because then the seeds stick. It didn't seem to happen. I don't know why. Yeah, but... sometimes the seeds stick to them, and you know what it is? Then you wind up like you could damage the seed casing when you're trying to take it off of the paper towel. Mm-hmm. I've talked to other people who are like, you just cut the paper towel and you plant the whole thing. Right, I mean, and... you can you can plant the paper 
cow. Like, I've done that with carrot seeds. Exactly. You know, you know so I'm not over here telling you what you can't do. I'm just going to tell you what I do. <laughs> you know, like, I just... Don't tell if, me what, what... Don't tell us what we can't do, Phil. Yeah, exactly. You know, who am I? Your parents? <laughs> anyway, so... The first thing you want to do is you want to cut, like, the tomato that you're using in half. Oh, and this is another... Uh, I can't believe I didn't start with this. You cannot really save seeds from a hybrid plant. I mean, you can. Again, I'm not your parent. Uh, but hybrid seeds do not grow true to seed. Um, you do have uh, other methods of plants, those being heirloom and open-pollinated varieties. Open-pollinated varieties are basically just the same as heirlooms. It's just that they're heirlooms that have been invented after the 40s. You know, like, heirlooms basically all refer to, like, you know, back when people still used martini shakers. <laughs> anyway, so, you're going to take... You're gonna, oh, sorry, I'm still drinking this martini. It's, like, beating me up a little bit. Actually, there's a touch still in the shaker. It's like a second drink. Huh. So, you start out, you cut your tomato in half. All right? And then... You're going to want to squeeze the seeds into... I'm using like a jelly-sized jar. It's a mason jar. And the tomato I'm using, I don't know the variety from. I got it at the restaurant where I work from this lady who raises goats and provides goat cheese to us. And it was easily one of the best cherry tomatoes that I've ever had and she swore up and down that's an heirloom but nobody could tell me what it was so this is not a seed that I would trade with anybody you know you don't want to trade seeds that you don't know what they are or tell people that it's the wrong thing which again is why I think it's important to take good notes and uh also to make sure that you use really good fruit. Um, when you are growing heirloom tomato plants, they're going to come true to form because they're inbred to a point of stability, which is actually an episode I would love to do if I can ever convince some people to talk to me about. Um, <laughs> I, um, so I actually, I was reading about the saving seeds from hybrid issue yeah. generally. And I found a website, and I wouldn't be able to tell you where it was because this was like 3 a.m. when I was trying to figure out whether or not this was a good idea. And like 90% of the internet will tell you it's a bad idea. You should still but do I it. Found, <laughs> I found some people on a gardening forum who are arguing that if you're saving seeds for yourself, you should actually uh, go ahead and use whatever seeds you have around because it's cheap and because you don't need to trade then because you could use tomatoes that you've gotten in the supermarket. Um, People and, do that. And so what they said was that, you know, you'll get really unpredictable fruit out of it because it'll be uh, the baby tomato plants will be kind of have traits of either of the parents. Yeah, it'll be half mom and get. half dad. And who's um, to say how much yeah. of each parent it is? Right, right. And so what they argued was that you should do that. And then within seven generations of saving seeds from the same plant, you'll eventually get what's essentially an heirloom plant, um, but tailored to your own environment. So that I is true. That was a cool idea. That's so, true. So like, you can ex experiment in tomato eugenics or 
<laughs> there is a guy. Uh, his name is Chad LaHulia. He wrote a book. Uh, I'm forgetting what it's called. I want to say Totally Tomatoes. It was one of the best books I ever read in my life, and it explains exactly how to create your own open-pollinated heirloom, and it's just Mm -hmm. like you explained. But, like, again, if you're saving hybrid seeds, if you wanted to cross two known... uh, Oh, wait, hang on. I'm going to tell this story, I promise. I put the seeds that I just squeezed into, like, a small mason jar... And I covered them with, like, an equal amount of that cleanser I was talking about. And I'm just going to gently swirl it and stir that bowl up a little bit so that uh, it goes. But then you want to let that sit for, like, 30 minutes. For the purpose of this podcast, we'll skip ahead and use this other thing. You know, you know when you watch a cooking show and, <laughs> you know, Martha Stewart is, like breaking eggs and doing all this stuff like on the TV with like somebody who doesn't know what they're doing and then they they're like we put it in the oven and then they open another oven right next to it and they pull out like a perfectly done thing we're gonna yeah. do that <laughs> <laughs> but anyway so you set you set yourself a uh, timer for 30 minutes and I forget the story that I was telling <laughs> but uh oh yeah it was yeah, about so, Chad so totally yeah serious. and he wrote the book and um yeah. it's a great book and you should read it and you can stabilize your own open-pollinated plants. If you were to take, like, say, the Bradley, which is an open-pollinated beefy uh, uh, <laughs> beefsteak tomato, and you wanted to kind of create, like, get some of the characteristics from that in a cherry tomato, like, uh, uh, I don't know, I I was growing Juliet, which was a hybrid, and it's awesome. It's my son's favorite. Um, if you wanted to kind of get traits from those and you could identify through taste and sight what those actual traits were then you could take a hybrid you would your first seeds would be amazing they'd be vigorous they'd be so like hybrid like it's not even funny uh and that would involve a lot of manual pollination for purposes of control again like i have to find somebody who's like a legitimate botanist to tell me about this stuff (laughs) this is an episode all its own but, like, then you have to save, like, 150 seeds, plant them all, figure out which plant is the good one, and then save seeds from that. And then you need to save, like, another 100 seeds from that one. But, again, it's seven generations that you breed for stability. And, like, essentially, you're just inbreeding the traits that you want and discarding the traits that you don't. But, anyway, 30 minutes go by, <laughs> and you wind up having the gel that you've created loosening up substantially now what this process is actually doing is it's killing any diseases that might be in there all right so you know after about 30 minutes or so you're gonna add a little bit of water to this bowl so that you can get the bleach off you know and you're gonna swirl it around and you will pour it into your sieve, into another jar from the jar you've been using, all right? Now, here's where it gets a little interesting. You want to kind of rub it with your thumb to get that little red part of the tomato off, because there's like a little gel that surrounds each of these seeds, and it is a thing that in the purpose of uh, growing the tomato, it protects it, but disease can live in that gel. And that's the thing that gets removed when you ferment the seeds. 
like that's the part that is getting eaten away by the fermentation process. So then once you've separated it out, you want to bang it back into your jar and add a little bit of water. I usually use like a small bouillon spoon, like a soup spoon you'd have at a restaurant. Not, I, not the spoon that you mixed your <laughs> martini with. Actually, that would be a perfect spoon. <laughs> Why am I not using that? <laughs> you are a smarter person than me. So then well, thank you. you're going to add it to your jar and you're going to add a little bit more water and you're going to gently stir it around a little bit. And some of the loose like pieces of tomato are going to come off to the, uh, come off of the plant and you want that. And here's another thing is when you're stirring it, some of the seeds are bound to rise to the top and those are not viable seeds. You want to get rid of those. Like they're not going to grow. They'll, if they grow at all, they'll grow subpar plants. So you want to like pour off the little bits of those tomato that get stuck on there. And you want to throw away any of the immature seeds until there's nothing floating on the water. And then you're going to pour it back into your sieve. And you're going to use your finger again to try and rub off some of like any leftover tomato bits. But be gentle because you don't want to crush any of your seeds. Okay. This is where the dawn comes in. The same thing that saves, like, pigeons and oil spills is here to take any remaining bleach residue off. <laughs> All right, so then we just do that, and you'd be surprised at how effective the Dawn works, even if you're not using bleach, you know? Like, you get it gets a little sudsy, you know? I mean, heck, it cleans our, our dishes, you know? It takes grease out of your way and such. And you, you just kind of get any remaining seed coating off of there, and then you run it under some water. And we're going to pour it right back into the bowl for one final time. Use your spoon again if necessary. Drink some more of your martini. <laughs> and you just want to keep pouring it through the sieve until the water is clear and you've removed all of the tomato bits that are there. And then what I do, like you used a paper towel... I like to use a paper plate. And then I write the date on it. You know, it's uh, in the middle of November. So, you know, I write that on there. And then I write the variety. In this instance, I don't know the variety, so I'm going to write Goat Lady. <laughs> All right. I'm going to just take my handy Sharpie over here. And you Goat just... Lady actually sounds like a legit tomato variety, though. I know, right? Well, actually, there's a variety called Goat Bag, and I've been dying to get my hands on it. I got, like, two seeds of it, and I killed both of them this year. I, like, cried about it on a podcast episode way back. <laughs> All right. Um, once you've knocked everything out onto the paper plate, you want to kind of spread the seeds around so that they're not touching each other or drying on each other. And that way... You know the variety that it is, you know when you started it, and you just put it in a place where your cat's not going to get to it, your children are not going to go eat the seeds or whatever it is. You know, I like to use on top of my hutch. And then when they dry after like three days, two days, I like to take like a, like a razor blade or like a utility knife blade and scrape them up off the plate so that 
Again, nothing's touched them. They look like seeds that you got from a store, and they don't stink up your house at all. That's the whole reason I use this method. Although I've talked to some other people, they were like, bleach is an uncomfortable situation. Like, there's no way that's organic. And I sympathize and agree with that. But uh, I want to save seeds, and I can't do that fermenting thing that everybody does. And that kind of bums I mean, it me is out. Stinky, you know? Yeah, it's you not... know, it's ninety percent of it is the stink. I can't do the stink. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm gonna make an infographic about this for everybody. But Phoebe, yeah, I heard somewhere that you wrote a book. I've written several books. <laughs> can you tell me a little bit about these books? How can I get them? What are they about? What's the age that they're like focused at? Uh, okay, so I'm a young adult author, so uh, young adults, in according to publishing, are uh, anyone 12 and up, you know, 12 to 18, um, but grown-ups read YA, too. Apparently. Oh, I totally, I read those Christopher Pike books forever. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I have two young adult science fiction books out with Simon and Schuster Books for Young Readers. The first one's called Starglass, and the sequel is called Starbreak, and you could get them at Amazon or your local bookseller, and they're about a girl on a spaceship, and she's a botanist, so that's fun and relevant. Mm, uh, botanist, you say. <laughs> podcast, and she uh, goes and learns about plants and stuff like that, and in the second book, she falls in love with a plant, so that's even more relevant. <laughs> It sounds remarkably <laughs> exciting. I'm glad that yeah. I had you here. I just, I, I, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, so, is there a place where you specifically would prefer people to buy books from, or just Amazon? Like, is there a way that you, as an author, generate a greater level of income? Like, do you have a web page yourself that links to your work? I do have a web page at phoebenorth.com, north like the direction, um, and there are links there, but it'll pretty much just send you back to Amazon. Um, I really like small booksellers, so if you have a favorite small bookseller, my favorite up here in the Hudson Valley is called Oblong Books, um, and, you know, go into your local small bookshop. They can always use support. Or just buy on Amazon because, you know, (laughs) authors aren't perfect either. So I understand that. I'm a guy who loves Amazon, but I'm also a guy who used to work at a small used bookstore forever. So I very much appreciate brick and mortar establishments. So are they still in business? No. (laughs) No. (laughs) That's why I stopped working there. They actually switched over to doing a heavy Amazon presence and it was 90% of their income. And I think that now it's, if it exists at all, it's probably out of a guy's garage. But, um, Mm. Yeah. I mean, it happens, but there are still great indie booksellers out there. So if you can, if you know you have an awesome indie bookstore, sure, go ask them to order you a copy. Do you know um, if, do you know if Oblong Books... Or your books? library. Talk to your librarians. Oh, anyway, I know great librarians. <laughs> yeah, they're great. And they, you know, if they order a book and you read it for free and then other people in your community can read it. It's great. Win-win. So. I'm a big fan of that as well. Hey, wait, um, a blog books. Do, do they have a web page that I can send people to? Uh, I'm 
sure they do. It's probably I'll let me let me just check. I'll, I'll, I'll you know I'll look into it, and I, if it's there, com. I'll put it up there for everybody in the it show notes. It is oblongbooks.com, and they are in Rhinebeck, New York, and Millerton, New York, and they're amazing. They're great. They're the bookstore that Phoebe Phoebe North suggests <laughs> that you go to. I'm yeah. also going to in the show notes page put up a link to your website. And I'm going to put up a link to your two already published books. I bet that it would not be a terrible thing for me to say that there's probably some more Phoebe North that's going to come out there. So people might want to check out that web page. I'm like looking the months very to coy, but <laughs> a frustrating thing about publishing is that you have to keep secrets for a really long time and Absolutely. not any good. <laughs> I'm not blowing up any secrets. I'm not saying there's a book there, but I'm saying there might be one coming. There is. And if there and is. And you might also want to uh, follow my Facebook page and I'll give Phil the link to that because that's where most of my news is posted. Or my Instagram where you can see pictures of me in the garden and also selfies. Lots of selfies. Your selfies are great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to I'm going to link to all that stuff. I encourage everybody to check out Phoebe North's work. I've read Starglass myself. I didn't get around to reading the second book yet because children. Um <laughs> <laughs> No, you're laughing, but I I have another no, one. No, I'm laughing because I write books and um up until this year when my daughter started preschool, like the last two years, I read maybe like four books all together. I probably read so four books understand. since I finished college. Yeah. Well, one of them was Starglass. One so of them was cool. absolutely your book. Um, yeah, no, I mean, like we laugh about it, but like by this time next week, I'm going to have another kid. Yeah, that's exciting. <laughs> You're not going to read for a while. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. But even so, I had so much fun doing this. And you have a greenhouse. So that means I that I need to come visit you and we need to do an episode on greenhouses. I will try to learn how to... Our greenhouse came with our house. <laughs> That's a... uh, but I will try to learn more about how I could be better utilizing our greenhouse if... before you come visit. And I would be totally down for that. If when I was looking into houses, there had been this house and another one that had a greenhouse, but, like, one less bedroom, I would have been, like, greenhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Our house has an absurd amount of wood paneling, but it also has a greenhouse. <laughs> Everybody hates wood paneling. I love it. <laughs> I actually love it, too, but, you know. <laughs> Well, high five. So yes, we'd love, I would love to do that. We'd love to have you visit, and maybe we could see if some of uh, some of the seeds we we saved. <laughs> actually oh, do I have anything. so many seeds yeah. I could trade with you. It would be so exciting. Uh, that would hey, be fun. Would be great. I had so much fun doing this, and I definitely want to have you on the show again. <laughs> maybe there will be another book over there that we can promote. We'll find out. Um, <laughs> And, you know, if not, I just, I hope that you're successful in everything that you do. I hope that everybody yeah. that listens to this show picks up a copy of Starglass, because I'm telling you guys, Starglass is great. I read it on my honeymoon, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Phil. And, uh, and thanks for doing this. This is awesome. Starglass is available on Kindle as well as in print editions, right? Yes. 
Absolutely. Is there? Uh, mm-hmm. Do you, Do you recommend the physical book or do you recommend the Kindle book? I went. I Kindle. always like physical books, but also um, we are surrounded by disgusting amounts of books in our household. So, <laughs> if you're a person who does feels the presence the physical books too heavily, just buy it on ebook. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, I had to. I've been like slowly downsizing all of my books, and I totally get that sentiment. I guess that's it. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Drunk Botany. Visit us at drunkbotany.com to subscribe to the show for free and we'll join you next week.